Hey lovelies, before we get started, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Impact Winter Capsule. That is the coziest scarf and the most perfect pleated skirt. I'm very creative when it comes to product names. And I wanted to let you know that the coziest scarf is a limited edition item. I'm going to be taking it off the site whenever I decide winter ends, which changes every year in New York. So I'm not sure exactly when, but uh, it won't be coming back after this winter. And uh, the most perfect pleated skirt is just a winter item as well. So, so many lovelies have been enjoying them. They say that the coziest scarf is a warm hug in these weird and crazy times we're in. And the most perfect pleated skirt is making so many lovelies reconsider what they thought possible in their own closets. So you can check out both of those at impactfashionnyc.com. And just as like a little extra special something, if you use code be impactful, the name of the podcast, B-E-I-M-P-A-C-T-F-U-L. You'll get a little extra something at checkout. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a passionate COO about how her family initially got involved with an all-female EMT group. She shares the decision to take the high road, the prank calls, the pushback, and the importance of choice. Leah Fryer-Levine is not your typical COO, and Ezra Snashim is not your typical company. Leah tells the story of the world's first all-female EMT group in this episode, but what really stands out to me is her commitment to doing what's right, even when it's unpopular, especially when it's unpopular. This is not just a startup story, it's a story about the place of Jewish women in modern society. I was a very happy, fun, free-spirited, and outgoing child. I was always on to another party or another trip. I was always very confident. I loved to act and be in all the school plays. I always liked to give speeches. But at the same time, I was also a very conscientious student. I took my studies very seriously. I was also very curious and I asked tons of questions. Everything had to make sense. Everything had to be truthful. I saw through any lies and I always had to know what was right, what was wrong and you know what the Torah wanted for me. And my mother always encouraged me to keep asking my questions since she was exactly the same way. And that's what I did. I also was always the one to care for the underdog. I grew up learning from my parents that every single person is important and should be respected. So whenever anything happened in the class, when a girl was being bullied or something like that, I made sure to put an end to it. I actually have one story that I remember when I was in fourth grade, there was like the school changed our classes and I was put in a brand new class and I saw there was this girl that was being bullied. So right away I spoke to the class and I made sure that it got stopped right away. And I forgot about the story, but years later when this girl got married, she sent me a whole letter along with her wedding invitation thanking me for being her lawyer and stopping the bullying that went on. So it was always my agenda to make the world or my little world a better place. Wow, were you geo president? <laughs> no. No, because uh, I don't know. I get that vibe from you that it wouldn't surprise me if you were. So I um, 
I got to know you. It's funny because I had actually watched the 93 Queen documentary when it first came oh. out a couple of years ago. And I rewatched it last night in preparation for this. And also just because I enjoyed it so much and I wanted to rewatch it. And it was really fun seeing like tiny little you. I get that. Isn't that funny? I'm like little kid. (laughs) Yeah, you look completely different. I guess you must have been in high school when that was made, right? Yeah, I think I was like in 10th grade. It was really over four years, the documentary. So it was probably started when I was in elementary school and finished by the time I was getting married. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And see, that documentary really follows um, the creation of something called Ezra's Nashim. So can you tell everyone what that is and how you and your family got involved? Yeah, so in short, Ezra Snushim is the first and only all-female EMT Corps to provide dignified emergency care for women by women. And now it's in Bar Park and Flatbush and in the process of expanding to many new areas. But I'll start off with how my mother got involved and you'll be able to see why the mission is so important. And then I'll tell you how I got involved. So I still remember that day I was sitting on the couch and my mother was at the kitchen table when a call came in and I remember the expressions on her face. It looked like it was a very interesting conversation. And I remember waiting here, what is this conversation about? And when she hung up the phone, she told us something that we were so surprised about, like all of us, like it never even crossed our mind. She told us that the woman on the phone told her that she was an EMT that was trained to join Hatzalah years ago when Hatzalah had just formed. And she then learned that when Hatzalah started, there was supposed to be a women's division to serve women during emergencies, since it was understood that when women call for help, especially in uncomfortable situations like falling in the shower or giving birth, it's super uncomfortable to have a male see you, touch you, especially when he's your next door neighbor. However, shortly after they started, some men felt that it wasn't appropriate for men and women to mingle in the same organization, and the women's division was abruptly disbanded. And the women weren't strong enough to push themselves and to continue being, you know, fighting to be part of it, and they were just out of it. And for many, many years, women, when they had an emergency, the only option they had was to call the men, which resulted in many traumatic experiences. So this woman on the phone told my mother that she's with a group of over 20 women who are all EMTs, some of them who were still part of the original group who were supposed to join us all. And they wanted to know if my mother, Judge Ruffy Fryer, who was then a lawyer, if she could help advocate for them pro bono. Just to backtrack a little bit, when my mother went to law school, she was told by many people that it would be impossible for her to stick to her religious standards if she goes to law school. So she was nervous about that, and she made a deal with God that if he helps her go through law school without having to compromise any of her religious standards, she will help his kids whenever they come to her for help. And she's always doing her best to help anyone that comes to ask her for help. So when this woman called her, she couldn't decide what to do. She knew that if it's the right thing, she is going to help them, but she just couldn't decide, like, are they troublemakers or are they really sincere? So she decided that she's gonna meet them and she'll, you know, she'll make her decision after, she'll do research, she'll meet them and, and she'll see what it's all about. And I remember sitting there thinking, I wonder where this will lead to. Like, will it be just like a quick, you know, in and out thing? Or like, I'm so curious. And I look back and I say, wow, that one phone call changed our lives. What year was that? So I think I was in seventh grade. 
Um, so it was many years ago, like uh, 15, 17, I don't know, a lot, a lot of years ago. And because the whole story took so long. So I remember the story continues. She goes to this meeting and she comes home with a passion to help these women. She went there, she saw that they're sincere, they're good women who are only trying to help. They're not these troublemakers, they're really good women. And at the meeting, they wanted to prove to my mother how important it is. So they brought down a few women who were willing to share their traumatic experiences with my mother so she would understand the severity of what was going on and she would help them. But all these women made my mother promise that she would never reveal their name because they were so traumatized and embarrassed. They don't want anyone to ever reach out to them or to talk to them because they're so embarrassed. So one lady told my mother how she had an emergency birth and how it was 10 men from the neighborhood in her bathroom when she was in her bathtub. She was so traumatized. She literally turned white when she was telling my mother the story. And then another lady was saying how hot soup spilled on her chest and a man had to come and peel the clothes off her chest after her burn. And she was just so mortified and so embarrassed that she's like, you know, why couldn't there be a female EMT come and help? So my mother realized that women were really having trauma going through these situations. And, and it even lingered on years later, like they never got over it. And, and she also learned that there are many women who they delay calling for help because they don't want a man to show up and see them. And that could be life-threatening. So sometimes you think, right, you know, they do come very fast when, when you call for help, but sometimes people won't even call for help and they're busy making their judgments. Maybe I shouldn't call, maybe it's not such an emergency. Like, is it worth it to embarrass myself? And, and, and I would like to add also that in the Hasidic communities where the gender divide is so strong between the men and women, there's such a separation that the level of discomfort is so much greater. You know, when someone's in an emergency and they're, and they're not used to being around men so much and all of a sudden they're touching you and, and you're half dressed, it's, it's really embarrassing. Um, but it happens to be though, when I speak to people, from all over the world and all different cultures and all different ages and stages, they all tell me though that they would really prefer a woman over a man when they're in an emergency, especially when it's vulnerable. So it's really for everyone, but it started in the Hasidic community because that's where they felt the need was even stronger. So convinced that the situation should not go on anymore, my mother was determined to get these women to join Atzala. And she's like, it's gonna be a two-week thing. I'm gonna be strong, I'm gonna be their lawyer, and they're going to get into Atzala. So there's a lot that went on, which I won't go into all these exciting details, but she realized that there was absolutely no way that Hatala would allow these women to join. And they had many, many reasons. One of the reasons were that they felt it wouldn't be appropriate to have men and women mingle in the same organization. And a few of the rabbis turned to my mother and said, you know, we realize that it's so important to have female EMTs, so why don't you take the high road, do the hard thing, and start a brand new organization from scratch of only female EMTs. And she realized that she's gonna have to listen to the rabbis and do the right thing, even though it is, was not normal hard work. And she realized then that she's going to have to become the director and also become an EMT. And that is when all the hard work started of years and years of work. And I remember the day that she came home and she went to the health department to start working on the licensing. 
and they turned to her. They were all so happy when she walked in and they said, we were waiting for your call. We prayed for you that your organization should have strong leadership and you should succeed. Like the health department, the head of the health department, they were so, they were so inspired about, like, about this mission and, and what we were doing. So it really took years of sweat and toil to get this organization off the ground and started. And I remember along all these years of, of, of trying, everyone told my mother, it's never gonna happen, give up, give up. And I remember thinking like, she's trying so hard, is it even possible, is it ever gonna start? But Baruch Hashem, in the end, she accomplished, I remember that first night when it started, like, hey, everyone had the radios, first day. And of course, there were like a few phony calls, but um, yeah, but that was the first day and it started and now women have an option to call for a female EMT. Yeah, I want to I wanna go back to those prank calls in, in a minute. But first, I'd love to know, how did you personally get involved? Yeah. You know, every, every, okay. your mother is very well known, especially in Orthodox circles. Um, Judge Rochi Fire is someone that a lot of people look up to. Um, but I'm curious, you know, what's your current role at Ezra Snashem and how did you get involved? So now I'm the COO. And um, there's a nice story of how I got to this place. And I, I still can't believe it happened. It's like, you now one thing leads to the next and you don't even know what's happening with her. You're looking back and you're like, how did this happen? So when my mother first was calling us, when I was still on the couch in seventh grade about what was going on, me out of all my siblings took it the hardest. I, I just couldn't get over it. I couldn't believe what this, like the injustice that was going on. And, it like ate me up. I, I, I just couldn't. It like made me so sad. And I always, that was my nature. I, I couldn't tolerate injustice. And I, I always felt like this has to succeed. And I, it always meant a lot to me. But I was so young. I was in seventh grade. And, and there wasn't much I could do. But when I was in high school, like, I always tried to help out. But like, it wasn't like much. After I graduated high school, I became a sixth grade teacher. And I loved it. And I didn't think I would ever do anything else. I thought I'm going to be a teacher in my whole life. And it was in the summer that I was off for summer break from teaching. And I was actually engaged and I was getting married at the end of the summer. And it was on Chavez afternoon when I overheard my mother telling my father that the insurance bill just came, which is around $20,000 a year. And she didn't know how she was gonna cover it. Once my mother became a judge, she wasn't allowed to fundraise anymore. So it was getting very hard. Like there were so many bills and it was just like, she didn't know what to do. And I decided then and there, as a schuss before my wedding, I am going to raise the money to cover the bill. And all my friends were laughing at me, me, Leia, with my dreams. Dude, I couldn't understand. The, there's no way. Like, how are you going to do this? I was 19 years old. Like, what are you, what are you even thinking? But I said, I'll do my best, and Hashem's going to help. Like, what more could I do? And it was such hashkacha pratis that the film 93 Queen, which we just spoke about in the beginning, which is the fabulous documentary that follows the formation of Ezra Snashim and my mother's campaign to becoming a judge, which was shown all over the world and a real, real success. Um, it just, it came out, like the, the first film was that week that I decided oh, I'm gonna help my mother cover this expense. And at the film screenings, my mother and the filmmaker, at some of them, they came to do a Q&A on stage after the film was shown. And after the first two films, my mother realized that many people were asking questions regarding her children, how they felt growing up. And she thought it would be so smart if she could bring me on stage to answer those questions and it would be so nice. And it was really good. I went up on stage and I was answering a lot of questions. 
And once I was on stage, I'm like, hey, let me take the opportunity to fundraise. So while I was answering questions, I always found a smart way to like stick in how donations are really needed and appreciated. And also once I came off stage, people, tons of people came over to me to ask me questions. And I always made sure to like talk about fundraising. And I remember in the car driving to let's say the city to do the Q&A at the theaters, I had like a paper and I wrote down www.sspression.org and I ripped it. I had strips of paper with me because I didn't even have cards then. I just had strips of paper handwritten. And I gave that to people and I'm like, don't forget, please donate. And the first film screening was 33 days to my wedding. And by the time I got married, 33 days later, I raised $30,000. Wow. That's, <laughs> wow. That's, so, you should go yeah. into marketing. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's, that's some that's some very good PR right there. So you mentioned yeah. you mentioned some of those phony calls, some of those prank yeah, calls. But that, that's not. I'm saying there's still more to the story. If you want to get to the oh, phony calls, please, please, please let please finish. Yeah. Okay. So um, so that's where it started. My mother realized that oh, like she realized that I'm good at fundraising. She's like, hey, Leah, you're staying here. You're going nowhere else. Like we need you here. And besides for the fundraising, I started getting invited to speak at events where the film was being shown to do a Q&A or to speak to places that really wanted my mother to come, but they couldn't get her. So I was like, you know, like second to best, you couldn't get her, you can't get just fry, you just take your daughter. So it was a great experience though for me. I went to schools, to colleges. I think I was like 19, I, maybe I turned 20 by, by, at that point. And I was like speaking and I was just like really getting that experience of answering all the questions and fundraising. And, and it was so good because I grew up with Ezra Snushton. So I knew all the questions inside that. It wasn't like anyone had to prepare me. I knew it all. So that was like how it started. I was first, I took fundraising under my wing. I did huge campaigns. And then I started to meet with donors who would start like the, my first big donors. They were like my advisors. They started giving me advice. And they're like, you know, if you really want to get more donors, you should really do social media on Instagram. I'm like, Instagram? I heard of it. I'm not sure what it is. I, I had no idea. I had to learn. I had to get people to help me. And I started making sure that there's Instagram and Facebook and then Twitter. I mean, we really had to start all that and making email blasts go out. And then I started helping my mother answering to answer emails. And people started asking about joining. They wanted to take the EMT course. So I'm like, hey, we have to start, you know, making an EMT course. I partnered up with a EMT course to help train our women. And then people were asking to join from different areas. I'm like, you know what? Why not start new branches? So I started the beginning stages of a lot of new branches. And one of them actually already launched this summer. The Flatbush branch launched. So that's just like how it went. One thing led to the next. And then another thing, my mother used to take care of all the TV interviews and all the news reporters. And once she became a judge, she like, didn't want to do it so much anymore. So she asked me to take over. So now I take care of all the TV interviews, all the news reporters. So it just like, basically that's a story. Like one thing led to the next. And every day there's another thing that I have to like, okay, now also do this. And now let's do that. So every day, and then I start having people that could help me and people that, you know, work under me. So it's just like amazing how the whole story happened from like doing a favor 33 days before my wedding. And yeah, this is how I got it's, to where I am yeah. today. The best, the best stories are the ones that kind of write themselves, right? I like still can't believe it. I'm always like, like if I knew this would happen, like uh, would I do this? <laughs> like I'm like, <laughs> like I def- my life. It's like I work like hours a day. Like there's so much that has to be done, and it's like building up. And there's like 
it's so it's it's such hard work but it's so like it feels so good to be doing such an important thing for the community yeah and i i can imagine how that would be really really fulfilling i want to backtrack a tiny bit you know one of the parts of the documentary that um that it showed was that on the very first day that ezra snushin went live that um you know that you were available to answer calls the line received a lot of prank calls a lot of mm -hmm. people who were just calling to hog up the line um and to me that was really an indication of the pushback against what it was that you were doing this was not a this was not a simple ride this was definitely an uphill battle within mm -hmm. the community and getting getting people to trust you was a really really was, was a really long ride. And a lot of people will say that what you're doing is somehow not modest or that it's dangerous because women are not capable of doing the heavy lifting thing. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, the example that I'm sure everyone brings is what are you going to do when there's a 300 pound woman on a third floor <laughs> walk up? How are you going to yes. get her down? And what, what do you have to say to that? What do you have to say to the people who think you can't do it or you shouldn't do it? So I have a lot to say, and I'm so happy you asked this question because I firstly want to say that when someone's against what we do, I'm not happy about it, but there's nothing that you could be upset about because everyone's entitled to their own opinion. If someone thinks that we shouldn't exist and, and they think that there's no need for us, they're allowed to think whatever they want. But when they act upon their opinion in a destructive manner and they want to shut us down, they want to spread rumors, they want to do, I can't even tell you what people do, that is what I think is terrible because why are you trying to shut down an organization that's gonna help people? If you don't need them, you don't have to call them, but you're gonna shut it down for other people. I have people all the time who come over to me, some women who say, I would never call another female EMT. I don't trust women, I only trust the men. And then I have some men come over to me and tell me, my wife would never call, my mother would never call, there's no reason you should exist. So I always turn to them and I say, we're only here to create an option. You always had and you will always have the option to call men. But if we don't exist, then there's no option to call a woman. So because you or your wife don't need us, we shouldn't exist for the people who do need us. How selfish could you be? And, and then when they think about it, they realize, yeah, like it's true, it's true. And they always say, oh, you're right, you're right. Like, all right, I wouldn't use them, but you know, if other people want, then you're right, they should have the opportunity. So, so like, I could tell, and then I also tell them three stories. I think they're like my favorite, I mean, they're sad stories, but these are the stories that I use. And I think when people hear it, they realize that it's, it's a lot more than just a woman that wants to feel a little more comfortable. It's a lot more than that. So one story, um, I was in France, I was on vacation, and I was wearing my Ezra Snushin sweatshirt, which has like a big Ezra Snushin logo in the back. And a random lady walked over to me and she's like, I just want to tell you what you're doing is so important. She said she lives in Europe, I think in England, and in her apartment building, her next door neighbor had an emergency birth, and the other next door neighbor that was a Hatsawa man came and delivered her baby. She was so mortified and she was so embarrassed that she kept having to face him that she moved apartments. So it just goes to show people really have this, you know, embarrassment and, and, and no, they want a woman, they don't want a man. And another story, which, which is really sad, um, is one of our dispatchers said the story about herself and that's what made her want to come and join us, that she was in an ambulance 
with only men, of course, and she was about to give birth, but she was so embarrassed, and she's like, no way, I am not letting this happen, and she ripped her birth canal, which caused a lot of problems later on. So it's, it's serious things happen, and there's one more story that I share, and it's one of our EMTs told me the story, it happened to her, I think her first cousin, that her vein bursted in the shower, and she's like, I, I, she knew she needed to call for help. She's like, I'm not gonna call men, that's so embarrassing, I'm not dressed. You know what, let's wait till I get dressed, I, I make sure I'm all covered, then I'll call. And by the time she got her act together, it was too late, and her husband came home and found her not alive anymore on the floor. So it just goes to show that if people had the option, they would call for help faster, they wouldn't be as traumatized. And yes, there are people who don't need us. There are people who are totally fine calling men and, and they don't care if it's their next door neighbor, they're fine. But there's a huge percentage of people who do care and we have to be there for them. So that's like my first thing to say to anyone who thinks that we shouldn't exist because they think that they don't need it. Now, regarding the idea of not being modest to lift a stretcher, let's compare it to a guy seeing a woman in a bathtub. I, I think lifting a stretcher is a lot more modest than that. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> that um, is the perfect way to frame this. Okay, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be laughing. I'm supposed to be a neutral reporter, but that's hysterical. You're right. <laughs> it's, you're right. If, if we're going to compare modesty situations, and I think it's perfectly fine for a woman to bend down and pick up a stretcher than it right. is Right, and also just man. to know, and just to know, modesty is never the real issue against us. It's just an excuse. It's just people who have their agenda. The proof is, is that the biggest and the firmest rabbis support us and tell us that we must continue in our holy work. It's, they never ever said that it's not sneas, it's not modest. They told us this is what you need to promote modesty in the community. So people come who have their own agendas to be against us and they're gonna come up with every excuse in the book. So they'll say modesty and you know, there's ways to show how it's not modest. But honestly, it's, it's not, it's just an excuse. It's definitely not anything real. Yeah, I, amen. <laughs> so yeah, I think we've established that this is a, a much more modest option than the alternative. Um, what do you say to the people who think you are not physically capable of responding to an EMT call? So that's why we got a $40,000 hydraulic stretcher, which is with the click of a button, it lifts the woman up, gets her into the ambulance, and you don't need that much energy. But also in general, to pass the EMT course, you need to prove that you could lift up to a certain amount of weight. So anyone who's an EMT, you know that she could lift up to a certain, like enough that she, her and her partner could definitely lift a person with a stretcher. But yeah, that's why we did buy that hydraulic stretcher because we know that it's, it's important that we could lift. But when I went to order the stretcher, the guy told me you should know that Hatsala just changed and every pretty much all the Hatsalas just switched over to the hydraulic stretcher because nobody wants to have broken backs. So in general, everybody wants this. Everybody wants to make it easier to lift. Um, but, and also, and if there is someone that is 300 pounds on the third floor, then my mother says, we'll do what anyone would do. We'd call for backup. And we would get the job done that way. Yeah, that's, that, seems, that seems pretty reasonable. It seems pretty obvious. I am going to ask a question that feels stupid to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What, do you, what would you say to the people who think that, that you're taking a lighter version of the EMT course or that women are not smart enough 
to be able so to. By the way, I am, it's so funny you're asking that because one of my EMTs, she didn't take the course with, with us. She's taking it in Bar Park and she has all that Solomon in her class. And she's like, okay, I don't want to say everything, but she's like, you're not going to believe what marks they get. How could they get even the best marks? So what I see this man from Bar Park, you know how much English you have to know? She was valedictorian in the class with all the Hasidish men that are part of Atzala. So. I don't know what they're talking about. A Bisako girl knows much more than the men. Why would they think that the course is less? It is true. It's a very funny, I don't, I think, well, especially in, in secular subjects, in pretty much all from communities, I, oh, no, that's not true. In, in a good chunk of from communities, especially in the ultra-Orthodox you know, ones, yeah. you're, the girls are better educated in secular topics. Yeah, they just are. Sure. Um, and that makes, that makes a, a huge difference. So yeah. Okay, glad we got that out of the way. Um, I'd love to know, you know, what you're doing with Ezra Sashim is so important. From your perspective, what are you hoping to accomplish with the organization? So the goal of Ezra Sashim in general is that we want women to feel comfortable during emergencies, especially the vulnerable ones, and that we want that every woman should have the option of calling another female EMT to come and help her. And she should never feel that she can't call for help without sacrificing her dignity. So that means that I really want to expand to all areas so all women have this opportunity. And um, I just want to get stronger, get more EMTs, build ourselves up even more, and become an integral part of all communities around America and maybe even around the world. You won't believe it. I get emails all the time from people in all different places of America, in different countries that they want to start. And I always tell them, you know, we're, we're a little too busy with America, and especially now in New York, but I answer some of their questions and I try to give them some advice, but one day we will have the time and we will reach all over the world. That's, that's fantastic. And it's, I'm, I'm sure, I have no doubt that you will get there. I also feel the need to mention that you're 22. Which <laughs> I just, I just feel like it would be remiss to not bring that up. Um, I think that to have so much gumption at your age is pretty freaking fantastic. <laughs> And um, yeah, I, I was certainly like that also. And it's, it's fun to, it's fun to meet, meet someone else who, who gets it in that way. The, um, what I'd love to know is that with, you know, with what, what you're doing is could certainly, it's certainly not typical, um, but it certainly is very important. And, you know, you talk a lot about options and about how everyone deserves to have the choice to call a female EMT mm -hmm. um, versus a male one. For yourself, would you be comfortable using a male EMT? Is that something that you so would call? It's so funny because all my life, I thought that like, personally, I wouldn't care. Like I always thought so, but I felt for the women, you know, for them, we're doing it for them. And recently I had my own situation when I'm like, no way, no way, I will not have a man look at me, no way. And I couldn't even believe it was me. I'm like, you know, until I personally had my own situation, I was like, who cares? Like, honestly, besides when it comes down to it and it's like you, you're like, no way, like, no way. So it was just very like funny because I never thought that personally, like I would really care. And I had the same thing with one of my really good friends who always was like, yeah, I support Ashashnashan because it's you. And her husband was like, yeah, I support it because it's you, but like, I don't know. And then last year she had an emergency and she saw that when men came, she 
started freaking out. She, her heart rate went up. Everything was like she couldn't. It was like it just like made her like go crazy. And then after, you know, the women came in and she calmed down in a second. She, it was like she's like, oh my gosh, like I really see it's so different, even just for the comfort. And then her and her husband became the biggest fans. So. A lot of times you don't know until it really something happens to you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of situation where you don't really notice it. And what I think is also interesting to note is that in the general wider population, this is not a religious specific issue. Most women prefer a female OB, for example, or, um, you know, a, a female doctor. Right. And- but, happens, right but, but, but just to add to that is that there's so many people that have no problem going to a male doctor but when it comes to an emergency, when it's not planned and it's your next door neighbor and it's not someone that went to 10 years of medical school, it is a whole different story. Like the, the idea of being in, in, in an emergency and being stressed out, it makes it a whole different like situation. Yeah, I thankfully I've never been in that situation, but I can <laughs> imagine how that would be how, how that would make a big, big difference. There are a lot of people that would rather women with loud opinions just kind of sit down and be quiet regard regarding this topic or any other one really um what do you think and i think more so in the community that you come from which is more of an ultra orthodox hasidic community Mm -hmm. i come from what we would call like a mainstream orthodox community i always find it hysterical that i live in queens you live in brooklyn we're a highway apart and our worlds are (laughs) so so different um There, there are a lot of people, uh, particularly in in some of the ultra orthodox communities, that would rather that women just stay home, make the kugel, and not pursue any other kind of career. What are your thoughts on that? So it's very interesting because I, I did think about that a lot, and I think I learned from my mother, who read the Sarashnirer book, and Sarashnirer is the one who started you know, the first girl school. And she taught that a woman always has to have two pockets on your dress. And in one pocket, it says, Kal kavuda pnima. the beauty of a Jewish woman is that she is in her home and she's modest. That is a beautiful thing of a Jewish woman. But in her other pocket, she has to have the note that says, sometimes there is a time that you have to stand up and act for what's right. And you have to stand up for Hashem, make a Kiddush Hashem, and do what Hashem wants. So in some situations, just to go and make noise, I, I, I could hear why people would say, what are you making noise for? It's not your place. But in a place like us, we have to change things. What's going on is, is a, it's a real problem. To have no option of calling a woman to help you, that, that is a problem, and that's where we have to get up and stand up for Kvot We know this is what Hashem wants. We have to stand up and say, yes, we are taking care of what has to get done. So I think that, that I, I hear where they're coming from, that they don't want women to be making a lot of noise and they feel like it's not the woman's place to do that. But it is our place when things have to change and when we're needed. Yeah. That, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, and I think that what some people will forget is that, you know, in, in my opinion, I do think that when you're not in the shtetl in Europe anymore, you need to, there, there are some changes sometimes you need to make. And that's not to say that we should change, you know, halacha or the Jewish laws or, or things like that. But I do think that 
there is that there should be a level of recognition of the realities of the spaces that we inhabit and and the and the place that that women can hold in that and also just on a practical level it's really difficult to survive in new york city on a one income you know if you're going to say that your that your wife should never work that's really hard to do particularly with a large family right. so i you know just on a practical level it seems like you know there are, there are we're willing to have a, a situation where for example you know there are plenty of men who will learn in kolel for years after they're married and in those situations, their wives will work, and we're perfectly happy with that. Um, but when it comes there, but there are still some areas where, you know, when you want to go into that career, it's not a good thing. Or when you want to go into that area, it's not a good thing. And that that's, to me, just seems a little bit hypocritical and something that we just need to get honest with ourselves as a community and, and address it and, and, and see where, you know, as a community, where our standards need to shift and where they need to um, just better reflect the reality of of the situation that we're in. Ezra Snushim is doing some incredible work and doing some and bringing light to this issue in in a, in a very real and substantial way. There has been a lot of attention on this on Ezra Snushim from general media. There's been New mm-hmm. York Times op eds and um, you know the New York Post and and all of those you know. I don't know, you call them, you know, not Jewish media outlets. Was, was there hesitation in speaking to those for, to those media forms that were outside of the community? So I remember when it first started and especially when the documentary started and my mother spoke to Arav and asked him like if it's okay to do it because for us, it's, it's a great way to get publicity and it also brings in donations. And this is also like the way we were able to even get our licenses and all the things that we're able to achieve despite the pushback from the people who are powerful and try to stop us because we're in the news and because we have so much public support, it makes us stronger. So we felt that it's, it's very, very important and that's why we do it because it really, really helps us. So I know that years ago, my mother spoke to Arav and, and got his permission to do it. Yeah, there and there you go. That's, you know, anyone who would have a problem with that, that's kind of the best answer to give them. The, I'm, I'm really happy that something like Ezra Sashim exists and that you are working to make it even stronger. Um, you know, like you said, personally, I don't think that it's something, I mean, aside from the fact that it doesn't exist in my neighborhood, but I, um, I don't think that I would have a problem with the male EMT, but you're right. I've never been in an emergency situation and I don't really know what I would do or, or, you know, who I would, who I would feel more comfortable with in, in those kinds of situations. Um, but I'm really, really glad that you're giving women who feel like they need the option, the option. And that's really, really important work. So if, um, if somebody wants to learn more about you or about Ezra Snashim Leo, where can they go? So firstly, they could just visit the website at ezrasnashim.org. I think that's pretty easy to spell. I think we have to spell it for them. Let's spell it. Why not? E-Z-R-A-S-N-A-S-H-I-M.org. And if you want to reach out to me, if you want to join or you have any questions, you can email me at Leah, L-E-A-H, at ezrasnashim.org. That's fantastic. And I'm going to link all of that in the show notes so that um, if anyone wants to learn more, you can go check out those places. And the last question that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Leah Fryer, what does it mean to make an impact? 
So for me, making an impact in the world means that people have better lives because of me. So if I know that I made the world a better place and people are happier, people are safer, I think that's an impact. And with Ezra Snashim existing, that is making the world a better place and making women's lives a lot better and a lot more comfortable. So that's what it means to me. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today, Leah. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Leah, her links are in the show notes. There, you'll also find links to the most perfect pleated skirt, the coziest scarf, and the most comfortable masks. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. If you'd like to apply to advertise on the Be Impactful podcast, please send me an email at rifke at impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.